seated. This morning we have an epistle reading uh, from the epistle to the Colossians, uh, chapter 2, verse 20, and also 3, 1 through 4. It can be found on page 1253 in your pew Bible. But first, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, this morning we are thankful for the opportunity to come into this place and celebrate the fact that, as the message says, you moved into the neighborhood. We're grateful for that. We ask that this morning you would speak to our hearts and transform us into the image of Christ for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulation? Chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Okay, this is a participatory kind of day, all right? It's Christmas, it's special. So we're going to help you learn a little line, and this line is going to be used throughout the message today, and you have a responsive part of that. If you don't get a little handout, I hope you did on the way in. Uh, there are a few more up here, or we can get one to you. This kind of helps you follow along uh, with me today. Anybody else need one of these little outlines? They were pretty good. All right, need a few? Okay. Marshall, come here, buddy. Will you grab these for me? And anybody else that might need that? I saw Mary raise her hand there, too. So let's see. You can a lot. All right. Anybody, you need a, a little outline. Uh, Marshall will get that to you. You got to know the players for the program, right? This kind of helps. All right. Now, here's our line. Here's our line today. It's this. Christmas is good, right? Christmas is good. We like it. But Jesus didn't come for us to experience to, uh, to celebrate Christmas, but to experience Easter. Okay? There's a line. Christmas is good, but Jesus didn't come for us to celebrate Christmas. He came for us to experience Easter. So my part is going to be this. You may go say so. I'm going to say the first part. Christmas is good. But Jesus didn't come for us to celebrate Christmas, but to what? Experience Easter. There you go. That's your big line, all right? Throughout this message, we're going to kind of come back to that. All right, now, if we're going to be really honest, life has struggles to it, doesn't it? Life has struggles. Uh, we have stuff that occupies our mind. We have worries, fears. We are people pleasers. A lot of stuff that if we were going to be honest and share stuff, we all have to struggle with things. Matter of fact, I got to tell you, this is the most recent note that's grabbed my whole attention. I was going through the house not long ago, and I saw a little hole in, uh, in the wall. I went, what's that? And I punched it, and paint started coming off. And there was a hole behind the paint. I went, oh my God, termites. Oh my gosh. And then I started thinking, all throughout the house, we've got some part of the front of the house that's kind of worn. There are a couple of places in the, inside the house that look like it's got a little water damage. And I started thinking, termites are everywhere. Oh my gosh. And so I went to bed that night, about 3 o'clock, I woke up, <laughs> termites. Termites. I was owned by termites, all right? 
So the inspection guy came and said they were all dead and gone and all that kind of deal. But anyway, but for a day, I was owned by termites. Now, you're also kind of thinking if there are some people I know that don't seem to have worries. They don't have concerns. They're, 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 their minds don't get caught up in the wrong stuff. And uh, they don't have envy. They're not jealous. They just, they have no problems. And all these people live in Orlando Cemetery. They're all there. And uh, if you want to go see them, uh, you know, they're great. They have, they have no issues. There are no problems there, right? They have no fears, worries, concerns. That's just kind of their deal. But for the rest of us, we have stuff like that we deal with. And uh, we have some things that, that um, in, in different degrees of things we wrestle with. Some kind of come and go. Others are daily struggle. We all have. Um, I have a good friend of mine, and a lot of you all know my friend Milton Mayo as well. And Milton is just a brother in Christ uh, who I've admired for years and years. And we keep up, and he encourages me, and I hopefully I encourage him. That's part of what the body of Christ is, right? So I've asked Milton if he might just share a little bit of his walk, a little bit of his struggle. Again, it may not be the same struggle you have, but we all have issues, don't we? We all have struggles. So Milton Mayo, get up here, brother. I want you to share what on your heart and mind. All right, here for Milton. Here for Milton. wonderful to be here on Christmas morning. I don't know who prayed for a wet Christmas, but I got good news here. Dream came true. <laughs> a beautiful day out there. Merry Christmas, everybody. Murray asked me to do this and share some of my battles. I didn't, I, I, I agreed without hesitation because uh, my sin has already been exposed throughout this whole congregation. And I'm so grateful for y'all because y'all hold me accountable. But anyway, my name is Milton, and I'm an addict. I'd like to open with one of our readings from Narcotics, Narcotics Anonymous. It's called, Who is an Addict? Most of us do not have to think twice about this question. We know our whole life was centered in drugs in one form or another, the getting and the using and the finding the ways and the means to get more. Very simply, an addict is a man or woman whose life is controlled by drugs. We're people in the grip of a continuing and progressive illness whose ends are always the same, jails, institutions, and death. I had several years of clean time when I joined First Presbyterian Church. I became involved with uh, and served as a deacon. I um, did a lot of deacon projects. I went on several mission trips to Belize, uh, sharing my faith regularly at Faith City Mission and so on. Uh, I began to neglect my 12-step program. I thought I was up on a much higher spiritual plane. <clears throat> but I realized, looking back, that I needed to stay humble and not forget where I was coming from. I needed to be around other recovering addicts like myself. I really got stressed out on my job, and I was taking it home with me every night. And I couldn't sleep at night, and I became sleep-deprived. I got pretty rattled. I ended up at the psychiatrist and he prescribed me Xanax and the OI set in. Our program teaches us that when we use drugs in any form, we release our addiction all over again. <clears throat> but after being away from my friends in recovery, I did not listen to that inner voice of God. I thought I could take it just like the doctors prescribed, but I was wrong. I was doubling up in no time. And before long, from uh, three or four at a time to a handful at a time, and then the end of the bottle at a time. Our, um, 
So anyway, I ended up giving up 13 years of clean time. I had to grieve that for a long time. It was really hard because my clean time is a sacred gift from God to me, and it really hurts still to this day. <clears throat> so anyway, finding myself in full-blown addiction, it wasn't very pretty. I did many people great harm, but most of all, I harmed myself. After my third overdose in a row, I woke up with tubes down my throat again. I looked up and I saw an elder in our church, Dan Morris, praying over me. Later I found out that the whole congregation here had been praying for me. And I really believe without the prayers from First Presbyterian Church, I don't believe that God would have mercy on my life. But He did. Thanks to your prayers. I almost died. So I seem really owe my life to God, First Presbyterian Church, and people like you, and Narcotics Anonymous. I ended up back in jail due to some wreckage of my past that I'd caused during my active addiction. It was very noisy in jail at night, so I began meditating, saying to myself a scripture that I'd memorized when I was a kid, the 23rd Psalm. And over and over in my head meditating, got really quiet that night and in my own head the noise was still there but a peace came over me and I had a deep down knowing inside it came from God what an audible voice but it was Milton this is not my purpose for you my purpose for you has a lot to do with First Presbyterian Church and Narcotics Anonymous and I realized that you know what I needed to do to get back to the basics of the Narcotics Anonymous program and get back to church. We can't stay clean on our own. We must have God, ourselves, and another human being if we want to recover. The only, the only thing we do have is a daily reprieve, but it's based on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Each day I have to ask God to keep me clean, read my literature, make a meeting, talk to another addict in recovery, Work the steps, and then at night, thank God for keeping me clean. I have to put on the armor of God, and I have to pray without ceasing. My disease is progressive, incurable, and fatal. It's out there doing push-ups, getting stronger, just waiting for me to become complacent. So please continue, if you will, to pray for me and other addicts like myself, and never give up on an addict. We've lost so many of them right here in our own congregation. It's really very, very sad. They still have loved ones here in our congregation, and we need to continue to comfort and pray for them and, and pray that God will give them peace and understanding. I don't know that I ever really understand this disease, but I'm glad that we have a solution, that we have a God that's a lot bigger than this disease. Anyway, I want to thank everybody. I'm on my eighth year clean now again, so God is good. Thank you. Lord, we thank you for being
your amazing grace, how sweet the sound to save a wretch like me. Lord, we all need your grace daily, a fresh dose of that. Thank you for our brother Milton. We do pray, Lord, you strengthen him. Uh, we pray, Lord, you to be the man of God you want to be, and we're grateful for his life today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. Okay, before I read the section of scripture in your uh, in the outline, is uh, Matthew. We're going to read this. Listen, I want you to think this way a little bit. We're all kind of all little Herods, okay? Just think when we read the scripture passage today, think we're all kind of little Herods, okay? Here it is. This is, this is from Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, and I too may come and worship him. Now when they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and said, Rise and take the child, his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And they remained there until the death of Herod. There was, uh, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I will call my son. When Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, he sent and killed the male children of Bethlehem and all in that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. But when he heard Articulus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to a district of Galilee, and he went there and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Amen. Now, a little bit about Herod, you probably know. Herod was a, not a Hebrew. He was put in power by the Jews, the, I mean by the Romans. The Romans conquered uh, Israel, and they put a kind of a puppet king, King Herod, there. He was, uh, again, a foreigner. He was actually kind of a paranoid man. He was extremely jealous, and he was extremely um, uh, susceptible, susceptible of, uh, skeptical of anything he saw that would threaten his position. He actually killed his mother. He killed his wife, three of his sons many cousins and relatives, and half the Sanhedrin. So Herod was bloodthirsty. Uh, he was a person who was very, again, jealous and really paranoid of people who might threaten him. So you can imagine when the wise men came saying, where's the king of Israel? Lights went on. All right? Very uh, paranoid, very skeptical of what was going on. And he definitely wanted to kill Jesus. But, you know, actually, there's a little bit of Herod, as I said, in all of us. We really, none of us deep in our hearts really want somebody else on the throne of our lives. We want to run it. We want to be in charge. We want to be in control. We want to make decisions. We don't want to surrender that to anybody, anywhere. You know that expression, which is probably pretty true. Who died and made you king? Right? We say, hey, we want to run it. We want to be in charge. That is our role. But if Christmas is true... You have lost the right to be in charge of your life. If Christmas is true, 
you have lost the right to become to be in charge of your life. You see, we all have this side of us. We, as I said, want to be in control. We're all self-centered. We're all self-righteous. We're all self-absorbed deep in our heart of hearts. We're like the Apostle Paul who struggled. He said, I do what I hate. Oh, wretched man, who will rescue me? Paul, as a believer, knew the struggle of what it was to follow Christ. But there is hope. There is hope. Where do we go? You know, Christmas is good. But Jesus didn't come for us to celebrate Christmas. He came why? To experience Easter. Very nice. You got it down. Pretty good. All right, second point, the cross. The cross and its achievements. The cross and its achievements. There is hope. And this is a quote from uh, Bishop Neal said this, In the Christian theology of history, the death of Christ is the center of history. Here all the roads of the past converge, and hence all the roads of the future diverge. The cross is the center of Christian history. He who understands, said Emil Bruner, he who understands the cross aright understands the Bible and understands Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. He who understands the cross aright, he who understands the Bible and who understands Jesus Christ. So the cross is important to understanding who Jesus is and really the whole truths of Scripture. What happened on the cross, three key things, three key things happened at the cross of Christ. The first is this, the salvation of sinners. The salvation of sinners. Now, Tim Keller tells a story, and it's a good one, that uh, people come to him and say, you know, God just loves all people. He loves everyone. He doesn't need the cross or the Bible. The key is God loves every person. So Keller says on his, on his more challenging days, he'll, he'll respond to that person this way. He said, what did it cost your God to love you? What did it cost your God to love you? Well, I said, nothing. He just loves me. Well, for Christians, no, my, the only way I understand God, it costs him a whole lot to love me. Substitutionary sacrifice is a supreme example of love. When you take someone else's punishment, when you stand up for someone else and take something they deserve, substitutionary sacrifice is the supreme example of what it is to love in a Christian way. The second, the second thing that... Um, we see in Scripture, besides at the cross, besides the salvation of sinners, we see the revelation of God. We see the revelation of God in the cross. Now, if I was going to let you, if, I, if you were going to know me, I would have to make a decision to let you do that. You couldn't know me unless I took the initiative and said, well, this is who I am. These are, these are my interests. These are the things I'm passionate about. I would have to allow you in. It took me to take me to initiate towards that. It's the same way as God. God, if he wanted you to get to know him, he would have to take that initiative. And he's done that. It's a progressive revelation. We see in the creation, we see his power and his majesty in the creation. But when he made that covenant with Abraham, he made a personal relationship with Abraham, began that kind of revelation of who he is. And Moses, the laws of Moses, his will and his desires, more revelation came through Moses and through Jesus Christ. Uh, even the supreme example, grace and truth came through Christ. And supremely in the cross of Christ, we see the revelation of who God is. First, we see the justice of God at the cross. John Stott says this, So although in his forbearance he temporarily left sins unpunished, 
Now in justice, he punished them by condemning them in Christ. He has demonstrated his justice by executing it. So we see the justice of God. Sin was paid for by Jesus Christ, his life. His uh, life, he paid for our sin. God needed a punishment, a sacrifice for sin. Sin and evil um, bring out God's wrath. God's wrath is upon evil and sin. And Jesus represented that for us. Thank the Lord. So God's justice is seen at the cross. Secondly, we see God's love. Now, if you're looking for a definition of love, you don't need to look in a dictionary. You simply look to the cross. How great is God's love for you? The value of a love gift is assessed both by what it costs the giver and by the degree to which the recipient may be held to deserve it. Say that again. This is how great God's love is for you. You can tell the amount of love by the value of the love gift as it is assessed by what it costs the giver, the life of Jesus. It costs God his son. And the degree to which the recipient may be held to deserve it. Well, you know, we are undeserving. Uh, we are... Uh, rank rebel, uh, rebellious to God and who he is. We go our own way. That's who we are. We're not a worthy recipient, and God is a great giver. I like this, 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 this expression. Judas handed over Jesus to the priest out of greed. The priest handed Jesus over to Pilate out of envy. Pilate handed over Jesus out of, to the soldiers out of cowardice. But God handed Jesus over to death out of love. Our sins were so great he had to die, but he loved us so much he was glad to die. He knows you inside and out and loves you anyway. At the cross of Christ, we see God's justice and we see God's love. Christmas is good, but Jesus didn't come for us to celebrate Christmas, but... Good. All right. The third achievement of the cross, besides saving sinners, revealing God, the third achievement of the cross is the conquest of evil. The conquest of evil. Now, at, Adam, uh, at the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, they basically said no to God's plan. They said, I want to do my thing. They gave, they gave Satan access to the world and to our lives. The cross of Christ, though, was God's plan to reclaim his rightful place. The price for our freedom was the blood of Christ. This speaks of, Colossians 2 speaks of this spiritual battlefield. Uh, Paul said this, When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with his regulations. It was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So Satan was defeated by the work of the cross. That is the good news of the gospel. So, you think, well, okay, so if, if this is true, Satan's been defeated, my salvation's been secure, a God has revealed himself on the cross, why do I struggle so much? Why is there all, why are there termites in the house? Okay? Why is that? You know, why do we have these things that Milton talked about? Why do we have this stuff in our lives that we all struggle with? That all these things are true. The cross accomplished so much. Why is it true that we have so much struggle in our own lives to be Christ-like? Why is that? Why is that the case? 
Well, the flesh, the world, and the devil, they've been defeated, yes, at the cross, but they have not been destroyed. They've been defeated, but they have not conceded defeat. The flesh, the world, and the devil have not ceased to exist, but their power has been broken. They have been overthrown, the flesh, the world, and the devil, but they have not been abolished. John Stott said this, The kingdom of God has been inaugurated and is advancing, amen, but has not been consummated. Christians have been delivered from the penalty of sin, thank the Lord. We are being delivered from the power of sin, and finally we will be delivered from the presence of sin in heaven. Say that again. The truth of the gospel is this. Christians have been delivered from the penalty of sin. We are being delivered from the power of sin, still here. And in one day we will finally be delivered from the presence of sin. A little analogy I like, uh, a little visual helps me, that when the Allies came in World War II and they attacked Normandy, and they made a beachhead there in Normandy, and they took it over with all the material and stuff, pouring into the Normandy invasion. Really, Really, Germany was, it was, it was, they were done. They were done. It was a matter of mopping up. There was a battle of bulls. There, were, there was a lot of warfare yet to happen. But basically, when Normandy happened, Hitler, his time was up. Same way at the cross of Christ. Victorious at the cross of Christ. We win. But there's still a mop-up operation that we're all experiencing day in and day out. Christmas is good. But Jesus didn't come for us to celebrate Christmas. I like you guys. I'm talking about it. Okay. Alright. The last little point of my outline. The last little point of my outline. says this. There's a secret. There is a secret that each of us uh, have. And it's not really a secret, but it's revealed in God's Word. But there's a secret to being victorious in our Christian lives. And this is what it's all about. It's really in Jesus. Man, uh, Corinthians 15, 57 says this. 1 Corinthians says this. Thanks be to God. Who gives us the victory. Where? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.13 says this. I can do what? I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So the victory over all the stuff that we face day in and day out is in Jesus Christ. It's with him. Now when your nature, that old flesh, begins whining and complaining. When those fears and those anxieties and worries begin to raise its head. When the world and all that glitters, all the stuff that's there, that your eye catches the envy and the things, the jealousy and where, you know, all that stuff the world has out there. When the evil one and all his minions begin to accuse you of being ugly or insignificant or useless or a disappointment, that's when you point back to the cross of Christ. That's when you claim your position and who you are in him. First, you died his death with him. You died his, you died, your, you died with Jesus Christ. You died with him. See, you know, death, there's no more strong way to describe something, the ending of something, by describing it as something that died. Galatians 2.20 says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So that old nature, that flesh, that old part of who you are, that died at the cross of Christ. I like this little story. Let's say this, that you've, uh, you, you committed crimes against humanity. You had done, you did a little life doing your thing, selfish stuff. You had been running, doing all the things you wanted to do. Finally, you got caught. You got caught. And you confess that, man, I have, I, I've messed up. I've done all this stuff, and I have done it. 
I have done that myself. All, but all of a sudden, you get a call from the president. You get a call from the president. He says, hey, hey, I am going to, I'm not only going to pardon you, I'm not only going to pardon you, I'm going to take the punishment that you deserve. I'm going to take the punishment that you deserve. So it's not one, it's one thing he says, I'm going to pardon you, but he's going to substitute, he's going to take the stuff, the, the, the death that you deserve, he's going to substitute and take your place. You say, no way. I've been running for you. I didn't vote for you. <laughs> and you're going to die in my place? You're kidding. That's an amazing love. You know me inside and out. You will take my place. You'll die the death that I deserve for all the stuff that I've done. You'll take my place and take my sin. I'll be dead to it because you will die in my stead. And that's what Jesus has done for us. The president has died in our place. And the death that we deserve, our old nature, that flesh, died with him. So we have died with Christ. But secondly, we have been resurrected with him. Not only do we die with Christ, we've been resurrected with him as well. And this is the thing that, you know, with the death of Christ we get, but the resurrection is amazing thing that I, you know, I am powerful. I have the power of Christ available to me over the flesh, the world, and the devil. God is ready to bring transformation to my life. Paul said this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Whoa, to know that sort of power in my daily life to bring transformation. Colossians 3, 1 says that, yes, we have been raised and seated with Christ. Wow. Ephesians as well. Paul says this. And his incomparably great power to us who believe. The power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So this kind of power is available. Now, a little analogy I've kind of tried to think this might be helpful to some of you. I, I think it's pretty, pretty might. It, it, it makes it a little more clear to me. Let's say this. Let's say you're really, uh, you really love, love a team, a team of your choice. Could be uh, you know, the Cowboys or some team that you just really love. And, and when they win, man, you win. And when they do great things, you feel like, man, I do great things. Well, let's say the Cowboys, might be a shock, end up winning the Super Bowl this year. And you're going to go, wow. And then, but that's great. And you go, oh, my gosh, I'm so excited. But then uh, one of the Cowboys calls you and says, hey, the victory, uh, the, 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 we're in the locker room. We want you to come on down the locker room with us. You went, what? So all of a sudden, you, you go down and you're in the locker room celebrating. You're there with them. And then you leave there and people start to see you. And they think, whoa, can I have your autograph? Weren't you part of that? And, and you go, well, no, but yeah, you're part of that, right? I want your autograph. You're one of them, right? Went, you go, well, yeah, I guess I am. I'm, yeah, you can autograph. <laughs> so all of a sudden, man, you're, so you're part of the team. They win, you win. You're there. So it's a little about the, about the resurrection of Christ. When he was resurrected to new life, you won with him. You're part of the deal. Isn't that great news? That is great news. So you have that sort of power. The things that Milton was sharing, the things in your life, you have power. Because with the finished work of Christ and the resurrection. So when he rises, you rise with him. That sort of power is available to each one of us. So that's the secret. That's the secret. You died with Christ. All that, all that stuff has no authority over you. That old sinful self died with Christ. And then you have the power of the resurrection. Because so, you are alive with him as well. Your team won. Count it true. Know your position in Christ. Dead of those things. Alive to God in Christ by the resurrection. So indeed, Christmas is good. But Jesus didn't come for you to celebrate Christmas. He came for what? You to experience Easter. Amen.
Now there's a little prayer on the back of the little handout I put there for you. And it's a, it's a beautiful prayer. And it's something that I think, uh, it's something that you, as you pray this prayer over, I've done it kind of multiple times. I love it. It kind of cements that truth that you're dead to sin. And you're alive to God in Christ Jesus by the power of the cross. It, it talks about all the benefits that you have by walking with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you again for your presence here. We are grateful for Christmas. We thank you for the truths of the Incarnation. But Lord, we recognize the Incarnation led to a cross. And in that cross where we find out we are dead to our old nature, but we are alive to God in Christ Jesus. That, Lord, that power is available for us. Lord, may that truth, those truths of the Gospel, become more and more real to each one of us. Lord, we'll give you the, the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May we return to God now His tithes and our offerings.